together, a partnership. That was great. Thank you. Miss Linda is a partner for me, always trying to help me be a better pastor. I don't always succeed in her help. It's not because she doesn't do her best. She's always cutting stuff, reminding me of things, and, uh, and giving good hints, and she's been a blessing. She cut this for me. Uh, today is the day to honor our fathers from Sugar and Mitchell, always an authoritative source. And uh, they just have a little column here about my father, and it says, When I was four years old, my daddy can do anything. When I was five years old, my daddy knows a whole lot. When I'm six years old, my dad is smarter than your dad. When I'm eight years old, my dad doesn't know exactly everything. When I'm ten years old, in the olden days when my dad grew up, things were sure different. When I'm twelve years old, oh well, naturally dad doesn't know anything about that. He's too old to remember his childhood. When I'm 14 years old, don't pay any attention to my dad. He's so old-fashioned. When I'm 21 years old, him, he's hopelessly out of date. When I'm 25, dad knows a little bit about it, but then he should because he's been around so long. When you're 30, maybe we should ask dad what he thinks. After all, he's had a lot of experience. When you're 35, I'm not doing a single thing until I talk to dad. And that's probably because I'm living with him. I'm sorry, I just added that this time. Uh, When I'm 40, I wonder how dad would have handled it. He was so wise and had a world of experience. And when you're 50, I'd give anything if dad were here now so I could talk this over with him. Too bad I didn't appreciate how smart he was. I could have learned a lot from him. I read an article of a guy yesterday, a pastor in Texas, who said he would give a hefty price for a 10-minute phone call for his dad. But he said Jesus has made a way for him to spend eternity with his dad for free. And so uh, just being reminded of uh, what Christ has done. I have a very simple message. We're going to be in Colossians 2, 1 through 5. But before you do that, I want you to turn to Philemon. Part of that is just to see which dads can find Philemon. Uh, And I have a very simple message for our dads. Look to Christ Jesus. You know, I, I never asked my father a single spiritual question growing up. My father was not a believer the whole time I lived in his house, and uh, I never recall asking him a spiritual question because there was no spiritual answer to be given, and that's one of the things that uh, I desired more than anything was to know, and uh, he did not have Christ, and so he could not give me the wisdom of Christ, and so I uh, resolved in my own journey that uh, my children would be able to ask me things of Christ. And so the very short message today is that uh, men, look to Christ. Apart from Christ, you cannot be the father you need to be. And all the wisdom you need is in Christ. And so as the title of the notes says on your paper, Father knows best as Father knows Christ. It's not just that Father knows best. He knows best as he knows Christ. Because the more you know Christ, the more you will have all the wisdom and knowledge that are in him and the riches that are here. ask you to turn to Philemon because I want you to see some things about him and how he related to his family and, and the gospel community. Philemon is right after Titus and right before Hebrews, in case you're still looking. And uh, it has one chapter, and, and beginning in verse 4, here's what Paul writes to Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
What a great word, and what a great word for all of us, that it would be said of us, Paul is not with Philemon, but the reports that he hears of Philemon have caused Paul to have comfort and joy, and the reason is because of the love that Philemon has for the rest of the saints and how he is a blessing to them. He refreshes the hearts of the other saints. And dads, I would challenge us, uh, if we do anything to the saints as a whole, we should start with the saints in our home. If we do anything to the saints as a whole, we should start with the saints in our home. Uh, as uh, the author of the book, Marriage Matters, says, we're called to love our neighbor, and the closest neighbors are the ones that are in our home with us. And so my challenge is that we would be fathers that refresh the hearts of our children. The reason I uh, start here is because in Colossians, in our study today, we're going to see that we're going to encourage or strengthen the hearts of our children. We also want to be those who refresh the hearts of our children. The Bible is never to be a whipping stick. It's never to be, uh, to be beat with them, although my mom hit me one time with a big, K- KJV, uh, it's, in one way or another, it impacts you, you know. But uh, uh, this, is, this is not the intention that uh, we have some dads that are, are overbearing. We want to be dads who refresh the hearts of our wives, who refresh the hearts of our children, and the reputation that long after we're gone, as we are those who had the love of Christ in us as evidence in how we related to others. I've shared with you before in, in seminary, I did a paper on uh, biblical manhood and ministry to men and found that if a, if a child, so this week at VBS, if a child comes to Christ at VBS, there's a 7% chance the rest of that child's family will come to Christ with them. If a mother comes to Christ, there's a 15% chance the rest of the family will come to Christ. But if a father comes to Christ, there's a 93% chance that the rest of the family will come to Christ. And so I resolved before I was ever a pastor that one of the most important ministries we've got to have is to men. And I was disappointed in those days because the majority of men's ministry was by parachurch organizations such as Promise Keepers or Man in the Mirror or some of these other ministries that are out there because the church was failing at his job or at its job. Now, the good thing is uh, we've seen one program, Men's Fraternity, that was started in a church with a pastor who had a heart to say, we've got to reach these men. We've got to equip these men. And, uh, of course, if you do any ministry well, then Lifeway will buy it and sell it. So that's how men's fraternity got widespread. But it started with one pastor who had a burden for his men to be in Christ Jesus. CNN had an article last night that says roughly one out of every four fathers lives separately from their child, meaning there's 20.3 million children who don't have a dad in their house. In 1960... 89% of children lived in a home with their dad. Today, the figure stands at 73%. And short of all of this, to have dads who stay in a home, to have dads who lead well, we must have dads who set their eyes on Jesus and who treasure Jesus above everything else and then model this for us so that this is what we grow up in. I want you to turn now to Colossians, and we're going to read just the five verses in our text today, Colossians 2, 1 through 5. Should the Lord give us next week, Pastor Kevin will pick up uh, with verse 6. I will be uh, going to Glorietta, and uh, I'm going to Ruston later this week for Student Life, and then Glorietta for Centrifuge, and we greatly appreciate your prayers in my absence. And then we'll be back here July 3rd and July 10th together. But let's stand and read Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1. We'll go through verse 5. This is what Paul writes. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, 
that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Father, we thank you for this text. Thank you that you've preserved it. Thank you in your divine timing. This is the text we study today on Father's Day. Father, we need fathers who love Jesus. We need fathers who are wise and knowledgeable because they are increasing in their knowledge and experience of Jesus. Father, we need uh, fathers who love Jesus more than anything else, and he is the treasure, and that's evident in the way they live their life. Father, we need men who will spur one another on in this manner, who will be iron-sharpening iron. And, Father, we need your spirit now to light this text up to us. Thank you for letting us see Paul's fatherly heart for the people that he cared for, that they would be deep in Christ so they wouldn't be pulled away to anything else. May we raise our children to be the same. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Some quick points here. The very first one is, fathers cannot be with us at all times. We're getting on the the very depth of the deep end of the pool with these, aren't we? Uh, Fathers cannot be with us at all times. How many of you are grateful that fathers... Sometimes we're grateful fathers can't be with us at all times, especially on our first date or our second date or some of these experiences. Arabella and Adelaide will never date, but it's a whole other story. My dad used to prepare me for when he would be gone. Dad would always say statements such as, when I'm gone, and he would give instructions. Dad had a keen awareness. I think that's because his dad died when he was 52. His, his dad died while my dad was in college, and so now my dad died at 58 while I was in college, and so... Uh, I guess I should start <laughs> with my children get on it, uh, particularly if I keep eating the way I am. But uh, Dad used to always want to prepare me, and he would give me instructions for his sister, who was not married, and his mother, who had no other grandchildren. He would give me instructions uh, for Mom and Laryllin and these sorts of things. And, and so there is the realization that fathers cannot be with us at all times. Dad, one day you're going to be gone that one day you will be in eternity and there won't be a single thing more that you can do to help your children. There won't be another chance for a lesson. There won't be another teaching moment, as the Shema talks about. There'll no longer be a getting up in the morning or a going down at night. There won't be as you walk along the road. There won't be the raking the leaves in the backyard. So I hope that you will see these moments that you have are winding down, not up. You have less each day. You have less each week. And so I hope that you will seize these opportunities. You will not always be here, and they will not always be in your home, and they will not always be in the formative stage of instruction. And so we need to seize these moments. Death isn't the only thing that separates us, though. Sometimes divorce, sometimes work. Paul is separated because he's in prison. So as Paul writes this to them, he longs to be with them. He says, I'm not with you in the body, though we were, because if Paul were there, he would take on the false teachers that are messing with these people himself. And Paul would call him out and he would be tenacious, but Paul is not there. Paul is in prison. And so you have to instruct your children for the day when you're not there, but the false teachers still are. And so uh, the reminder is uh, we can't be with our children every minute of every day, every week, of every month, of every year. In the moments that we've sent Arabella to school, it's been interesting just to hear conversations from the first grade playground. And I'm like, he said, what? Or he did what? (laughs) Mm-hmm. And so you just realize that as much as you want to protect them, you ultimately can't. So your job is to give them a solid foundation 
so that they can grow on and, uh, <laughs> and be upset and pulled out of the church about one day. So number one, fathers can't be with us at all times. Paul says in verse 5, For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit. Number two, fathers know that not everyone has our best interests at heart. Verse 4 says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul wasn't dealing with hypothetical. Paul was dealing with the reality. So there weren't people one day that may try to pull the Colossians away. There were people right then in that day that were trying to deceive them. And they were using fine-sounding speech. But Paul knew all along that there were wolves. In Acts 20, verses 29 through 32, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul tells the leaders at Ephesus, while he's meeting with them in Miletus, he says, look, wolves are going to come from the outside and the inside. That's a tough part of church, right? They can come from the outside and the inside. But he said, you know what will build you up? The word. And I commend to you the word. And don't you forget how three years I admonished you from the word with tears, day and night. I didn't cease to give you the word. The word will build you up. The word will help you stay strong. There are always going to be false teachers, but there's always the word. And so he's reminding them. In 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And you know what Paul saw as the remedy that he told Timothy? He says, you preach the word. You preach the word. This was the charge for him. That's why I love working with the Uganda Baptist Seminary. Their theme verse is, preach the word. From, uh, from, from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. So he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. You're going to see later, should the Lord give us next week. In verse 8, there are some that are trying to pull them away into uh, philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. And so Paul is realizing, look, I can't always be there, and there are always going to be people who try to call you ast- uh, to pull you astray. I would remind uh, us, too, at times, dads, we need to name names. You know, Stuart Rothberg, when he was pastor of Estruma, got in trouble one Sunday morning because he called out false teachers by names. That gets you an email from people who listen to those false teachers. And uh, he shared that experience with me. And, Dad, it's your job. Paul never failed to warn in his letters, this guy, watch out for him. This woman, watch out for her. These things are going on. And when necessary, name names so that our children aren't wandering around. Well, who's speaking truth and who's not? The worst is people who mix truth with themselves. And we have several of them in contemporary Christian circles. I would remind you, just because Lifeway endorses it does not mean we should. So how do we discern the difference? We know the gospel. We know the gospel. That's what we're going to get to here. And Paul's biggest concern here in verse 4 is how the false teachers are communicating their teachers. He says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see, these guys had some fine-sounding speech. And uh, the thing that I would remind us is don't be charmed by the form of the speech rather than the content. Though it sounds pretty, speech that leads us away from the gospel is deadly. Anything that leads us away from the gospel is deadly, no matter how fine-sounding it is, no matter how intellectual it is, no matter how beautiful and eloquent it is. So don't be carried away by eloquence and speech. People who attempt to sway us from the gospel rarely admit that up front. They rarely say, I'm going to try to pull you away. 
they just do it. And some of it is because they're deluded themselves. So what we have to do is not spend time on the Da Vinci Code, teaching the, the, about that book, not spend time on the golden compass, not spend time on these things. What we need to spend time doing is giving them the gospel, giving them the truth, and they'll recognize all of the other stuff. Dads, moms, granddads, grandmoms in this world today are ample amount of false teachers, both inside the church and outside the church. They are here. It is not hypothetical. And when you get on airline, they're going to be preaching on the billboards. They're on the radio. They're on the Internet. And so this is a situation in which we have to grasp. We have to remind our children, not everyone has your best interest at heart in the pulpit or out. So how do we raise them to know the difference? We give them the gospel. We preach the word. We point them to Christ Jesus. You'll see that in just a moment. Number three, fathers rejoice in children who know and live the gospel. How many of you have left your children and you've come back to find them doing what you told them to do? How many of you have ever been encouraged by that? How many of you have ever left your children and came back and did not find them doing what you asked them to do? How many of you were those children who didn't do what? Yes. All right. So it all comes full circle. In 3 John, in case you've never read 3 John, my, my goal today is to use as many one-chapter books as possible. 3 John, this is what John says of Gaius. He says, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So Paul is in prison, and he knows there are false teachers, and they're fine-sounding false teachers. And Paul was even hammered at a time for not having very eloquent speech. And Paul said, I've got nothing but the Spirit's power. That's all I have, the, the gospel and the Spirit's power. That, that's all I have. And so the cool thing, though, about the church at Colossae is they weren't being fooled. They weren't being pulled aside, and you see this in verse 5. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And these are military terms. The good order literally means shoulder to shoulder, and the firmness means one behind another, as if they're drawn up and they're in attention. And he said, I'm rejoicing because you guys are standing shoulder to shoulder, and you're standing one behind another. You are together, and you're not being pulled away. It also means that they were living an orderly Christian life and the firmness of your faith in Christ is that stability. Nothing was pulling them away from faith in Jesus. Nothing was pulling them away. Parents, how many of you would be happy if your children lived a godly life and were solidified on the gospel? How many of you would rejoice in this? Hands go up all over. How many of you know that uh, these children don't arrive here on accident? They don't arrive here on accident. We must be intentional. Just as discipleship doesn't occur on accident, we must be intentional about discipleship as a church and in our home. Paul is getting reports. So here's the cool thing. Students, children, I would encourage you, especially those, Jason, getting ready to go off to college. Paul's in prison, so he can't see this. Paul is only hearing about this. And wouldn't it be incredible if the reports that are brought to our parents are these kinds of reports? Students, I would encourage us to live this way. Parents, I would encourage us to be the ones who aim at this. Hold your place and just turn the next, in mind, the next page, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. And if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this, comma, just as you were taught. Do you know how people become rooted and built up and established in Christ? Someone teaches them. Do you know how people have good order and firmness of the faith? Someone teaches teaches them. And dad, in your home, God expects you to be the primary teacher. 
You are the pastor in your home. You are the theologian in your home. And there is no room for slackers. There is no room for those that are lackadaisical about Christ. God has responsibilities, and you can be nonchalant about them. God will still hold you to them. You are the leader of your home. You are to wash your wife with the word. You are to bring your children up in the teaching and instruction of the Lord. And the best way to do that is for you to be growing in it yourself. You being close to the cross of Christ so that it flows out of you as you discipline, as you teach, as you parent, as you spend, as you go, all of this flowing out of us. So Paul knows they're false teachers. Paul can't be there with them, but Paul is pumped because they're standing firm. And all of that doesn't happen on accident. Someone taught them. And in the, cha- in the case of the Colossians, it was Epaphras. It was Epaphras. So let me get to our last big point. Fathers prepare us in two ways, strengthening and instructing us to a deeper understanding of Christ and struggling on our behalf. So there are two ways we can uh, strive towards having children of good order and firmness of faith in Christ. And now I would point out, you can do these things and children still go wayward. You can do these things and children still go wayward. The Spirit of the Lord is sovereign over, over all these things. But our job is to teach. Our job is to model. And then the Spirit alone produces the fruit or not in their lives, okay? But if we're, we want to at least be those who aim at that, and very simply, by modeling a commitment to the gospel word and modeling a commitment to the gospel community. Look at what, uh, let's just read one through three together. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So very simply, the word strengthen here means to encourage. He's aiming at the heart. And the word knit together can also mean instruct. And uh, he's aiming also at the unity that they would have together, one mind and one heart. But very simple, what he's praying here is he says super riches, or as he says, full assurance of understanding. The phrase full assurance of understanding means superabundant certainty. Superabundant certainty. You know what you want your kids to have? Superabundant certainty about Christ. Do you know how you strengthen your children? You teach them the things of Christ. The way that we strengthen our children is to teach them the things of Christ. Conviction that results from insight. So they have full assurance of understanding because they have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So as they know who Christ is, conviction settles deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper as we provide the insights. So Paul wants all Christians at Colossae to share the rich spiritual assurance that comes with the conviction that all the secret treasures of divine wisdom and insight are found in Christ. Now, there's a couple things here. One, no essential truths are outside of Christ. And number two, no essential insights are hidden from anyone who's now in Christ. And so what we want to help our children be on the watch for is people who claim to have an understanding of God without Christ. You can't have an understanding of God without Christ. Number two, you want to be careful of those who claim to have spiritual riches more than those that are just in Christ. Christ is the key. So there's no other means of trying to go around. We want to teach our children Christ, Christ, Christ. Because in him is the full treasure of wisdom and knowledge. So let me give you a couple things here that the Bible says. The most personal, ultimate way to speak of God's wealth is to call it the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it's not just the riches that Christ gives. It's the riches 
that's, that is Christ. These are the riches as we talk about God's riches. The very, mo- the very personal way is talking about Christ. And he says here that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. So what's the difference? Knowledge is awareness of facts. Wisdom is how to use those facts. You know, you can know that an umbrella will work, but unless you know how to use the umbrella, it's just not a lot of help, is it? And so you can have the sense to get out of the rain, but to actually act on it. That's what we're raising, right? We want to help children have both knowledge of these things. Very simply, if I were to tell you about God, here's what we find about God. He knows all recorded facts, all the facts stored in all the computers, all the books, and all the libraries in the world. But vastly more than that, he knows all events at the macro level, all that happens on Earth in the atmosphere and in all the farthest reaches of space and every galaxy and star and planet, and all the events at the micro level, all that happens in molecules and atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons and quarks. I have no idea what a quark is. Do you? I have no idea. How many of you think God knows a lot? He knows a lot, right. Well, here's what Paul says. All the knowledge and wisdom that originate in God are found in Christ. So all knowledge, all wisdom, all riches originate in Christ and are held in existence by him and for the purpose of making him known. Christ is the final and ultimate meaning of all reality, which means nothing can be fully or rightly known that is not known in relation to Jesus Christ. Let me read this last little section for you. God's unfathomable knowledge in Christ Jesus means this. All facts and events arise from him. All facts and events are sustained by him. All facts and events point to him. He's the meaning of all knowledge. There's no true knowledge that is not related to Christ. Every thought in a human mind or the mind of a demon about any fact or any event in the world that is not truly connected to Christ is a thought in rebellion against the truth and against God. There is no true knowledge apart from Christ. That's how radically Christ-exalting all of life should be. So let me paint the picture for you. The reason I started uh, Fellas at Five was because I felt like we needed to have some time to train men in what biblical manhood was. When we finished our session on biblical manhood, we moved to Proverbs, and we titled it Father Knows Best. As you know the word, you will have wisdom. There's so much wisdom in Proverbs, dads. There's so much wisdom in Proverbs. So we would just be those who put the Proverbs in us to get them to come out. But what we're seeing here is if dad is really going to know best, dad really knows Jesus. That's the short of it. And how do we have kids that aren't fooled by the world? They know Jesus. How do we get kids who know Jesus? We have dads who know Jesus. So I guess my greatest question as a dad is you can teach them how to build something, but are you teaching them how to pursue Christ? Is it evident to your children that Christ is your supreme treasure, that you love him more than anything else, and therefore this is how you order your lives? Or is Christ just a component? Paul says, I want you to stand stronger, and the way you stand stronger is Christ, because in him is all wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to have more wisdom, you want to have more knowledge, pursue Jesus, because in him are all the treasure that's there. And then the rich assurance, and what we want to aim for our children is the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. Children don't get here on accident, but when they're here, they stand firm, and they're not deluded by fine-sounding speech. And dads, you know how you get there? It's in verse 1. You struggle. You struggle on their behalf. Paul says, I'm struggling for you. I'm struggling for Laodicea. And I'm struggling for all who've not seen me face to face. And if you'll remember from last week, the word for struggle is agony. And it's used in the athletic competition. And I don't know anyone who goes into an athletic competition and says, I'm going to go halfway today. The point of the athletic competition is that we give it our all. And so, dads, you know how you end up with children who are here? You struggle. 
You agonize. You give it your complete effort. But you also do it, as 29 says in, the, in chapter 1, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Dads, we have all we need in Christ Jesus. So if we are not raising our kids in this. It is not Christ's fault. Peter says we have all we need for life and godliness. When will we embrace that? When will we pursue that? How did Paul struggle? Well, Paul's obviously in prison, but he struggles through prayers. He's been praying. He struggled in teaching and admonishing. He struggled in writing letters. Paul struggled in equipping Tychicus and Onesimus to come back to help train these. But I love this. Verse 1 of chapter 2, it just struck me. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I just love that Paul was a communicating spiritual father at this point. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I want you to be aware how great I want you to know the truth. I'm in prison, and I'm not thinking of me. I'm thinking of you. And I want you to know the truth so that these busters with their shiny suits, when they come into town and try to pull you away from the gospel, you will stand firm. And he says, I'm pumped because you are. I'm pumped because you are. What about your children, Dad? What will they say? What will they do? Very, very simple message. Very, very simple verses. But we don't arrive here on accident. I'd like Stephanie to come. We're going to close out our service. We've got to vote on our covenant and uh, as well as uh, affirming the Baptist faith and message. And Jason will come in just a moment. But before he does, I'd like for uh, us to have a time of prayer. Dad, you may.